Welcome to Outside Perspective, folks. Man, I have an excellent conversation, or yeah, I have an excellent conversation to share with you guys today. Um, I'm your host, Adam Meredith. Let's get a couple housekeeping things out of the way. I'm so excited for this guest. I want to get to the guest as fast as possible. Um, let me give you actually a little background before I actually get to the guest. Um, this week, I am at the uh, the MoCan BizCon conference here held in St. Louis, Missouri, here in my home city at uh, Grand Union Station Hotel. It was a huge expo designed to help support uh, the 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 cannabis industry that is uh, well underway in Missouri. We just recently, at the end of 2018, uh, legalized uh, medical marijuana, and this conference was designed to completely provide uh, every entrepreneur, you know, the resources and tools. You know, every business was there to support the full infrastructure uh, of this industry in this market. So it was a huge, huge expo and man i connected with a ton of great people there so there's going to be a lot of you know future episodes that have stemmed from that episode i can't wait to sit down with these guests and share these conversations with you and just bring uh, more awareness and uh, just more education you know to the you know to the masses to the public you know about this plant and about this industry so had a great time sitting down and connecting with people while i was there um this was a a well-run expo and uh it was truly a pleasure to you know be invited there as press you know to cover it and and to connect with people and uh yeah man i'm super excited for this industry and what is to be you know you know what's to come in the future you know for this expo and for the industry as a whole so <sighs> all right all that to say yeah let me get let me get a few things out of the way i'll get to my guest so first if you aren't please tell a friend or if you aren't please subscribe please uh leave a rating leave a review like comment share all of these things help spread the message and grow the podcast also go tell a friend and then uh if you haven't go check out my buddy justin bricker's podcast the why not podcast it's a fucking phenomenal show one of my favorite to listen to i listen to it every week um he's dropping an episode a week and uh he's having some awesome conversations so go check that out the why not podcast with justin bricker and then you know relevant to what you know the conversation is today in the expo that i'm at Go check out my friends over at jombocbd.com. Uh, for all my California listeners, uh, you know you can go to your local dispensaries. They do have THC products, and you can check out and see if they carry those. If they don't, go ask. Go ask for them to carry those because, shit, they're fucking phenomenal, and why would you not want to get the best products that you can? Also, the CBD products. So for my other listeners that are not in California, you can still check out jombocbd.com and look at their full line of products. Now, you may not know what CBD is. That's okay. Let me tell you, it is cannabidol. It's one of the many compounds found in the cannabis plant, but rest assured, it is not one that you have to worry about in the sense of failing a drug test, in the sense of altering your consciousness so that you will get high it will not get you high it will not make you fill a drug test but what it will do is it will help you it's been shown to help a ton of different things it is an adaptogen so what that means is it helps put the body 
at homeostasis. It helps bring it to a baseline. So, you know, some people are extremely anxious. It can help bring them down. Some people have trouble sleeping. It can help them sleep. It can help with recovery and your brain function. One of the things that has fascinated me the most um, or, or one of the things that I'm, I'm fascinated by the most is how can we help the brain? And CBD is one of these things. It has been shown to help to help uh, the body produce BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's the brain. It's the brain's growth factor. It, we've we've learned that we can regrow new brain cells in particular areas of the brain, and this is one of the things that helps it do that. So, man, it's just an amazing compound, and there's just so many benefits that can be had. I love to use Jumbo CBD because it is the highest quality on the market. They use all premium ingredients. They send everything to a third-party lab to be tested so you know what you're using is what is in the bottle. Or you know what is in the bottle and you know that's what you're putting in your in or on your body. So it's very important. So again, go to jombocbd.com. Use the code OUTSIDE at checkout. You will save 20% off of your entire order again jombocbd.com use the code outside and you will save 20 percent off your entire order all right now to the guest i'm so excited to bring this conversation to you such a powerful powerful conversation and uh, i sit down with jeff mazansky and if you don't know uh, i'm going to give you a brief overview of his story but i don't want to give away too much because i would like for you to hear it from jeff um, Jeff was sentenced to life in prison without parole for a nonviolent cannabis charge, and he served, uh, you know, almost 22 years behind bars. I don't want to go really any further than that in detail, but you know, it, man, there's just so much wrong in the world. You know, when when we're putting people, you know, fucking behind bars for nature and for plant and uh and in and for control and greed and all these different things you know we have a privatized penal system and we have an you know an unjust you know judicial system where you know there's a clear there's some things that are clearly right and clearly wrong but the way that the laws are written up it doesn't matter so this was just a very powerful conversation. Um, I think it shed some light on some real issues that are out there, and um, I don't have all the answers. I think you know having conversations like these and, and helping people become aware of uh, you know what is what is going on in the world is important. You know, we have a man here who lost you know over two decades of his life you know behind bars, and, and time doesn't stop. And you know, I wish I would have asked him this because. Before we started recording, you know, I was telling him about the different, you know, platforms that this, that we're, we're putting this podcast on and, you know, he wasn't aware of all of them. And, and that makes perfect sense because the rest of the world doesn't stop. But when you're, you know, behind bars, when you're in prison, you know, it's a different way of living in there and you almost kind of get stuck in time and, uh, Man, it's it just it just really makes you think, and it, you know, it made me really appreciative of of my freedom. And you know, I've 
I like uh, so many other people when you're young, you know, you're just a fucking knucklehead and you feel like you're going to live forever and uh, you don't always think, you know, everything through. And, you know, when you're a young man, you get in trouble, you know, that, that could dictate the rest of your life. So, man, it's just crazy to think about. So without further ado, man, let's get to this conversation. Uh, Jeff Mazansky, everybody. All right, here we go. All right, Jeff Mazansky, how are you doing today, sir? Doing fantastic. Excellent. So I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. Um, for the listeners, we're at the MoCan BizCon here in uh, St. Louis at, uh, was it Union Station? Union Station. Yeah, this place, I've never, you know what, I live here. Um, I'm actually originally from like the Potosi area. We kind of talked about that a little bit. And then I grew up in Jefferson City. So not too far from where you're at in Sedalia. But um, I've been living here for quite some time now, and I've never been here. This is a, this is a really cool place. Oh, it's beautiful. Big, beautiful. And yeah. I don't think I've seen it all yet. Yeah. Have you? Um, did you check out that light show last night? Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was super cool. Um, they had, I think one time it was uh, like giant goldfish, and another time it was, uh, I don't know, like a big planet. And then with the big gears on the side. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those, those gears are really neat moving yeah it was fantastic yeah man so this is a really cool space i think it's um it's awesome to be here and to be around um all the people who are really trying to like make change in the area um especially as far as you know in in the cannabis space because like we were talking a little bit beforehand you know this plant has helped so many people um but there is a downside to it right as far as not the plant itself but the laws surrounding the plant is is, has hurt so many people and, um, and that's, you know, the, the basis of your story. So I really wanted to have you on and, and share your story with, with folks. Um, for the listeners, you know, you were you know, wrongfully imprisoned essentially for 21 years. You were facing uh, life without parole. So you, would you, would, can we just go back to the beginning a little bit and, and start the beginning with your story? I'm sure I know you've, you've shared this probably a thousand times since you've been out. And, and um, yeah, so where would you like to begin and, and, and share your story? Well, first of all, it's really hard to believe that we're sitting here in a business conference for marijuana right here in missouri yeah right in st louis yeah how does that feel for you it's amazing it's it's fantastic what makes it so fantastic is how many people are going to be able to be helped right you know yeah and uh, i always try to tell people we're not only helping the ones that are out here and be able to help themselves because of being able to smoke or use cannabis the way they need to but uh let's not forget all of our people that we still have behind bars right uh, yeah because uh, they need to help now yeah they need to be out here uh we need to get all the arrests stopped on these marijuana cases and we the people can do it because the government works for us we don't work for the government right and if we don't do it something that happened to me might happen to some of the listeners. We just end up in courts, jails, courts, and then eventually prison. Right. Now, I ended up in, in 1993, I, I got arrested for marijuana. I got sentenced in 1994 to a life sentence. After I was in there for a while, I found out with the numbers they put on my paperwork that it ended up being a life without. 
without parole. Without parole, right. Now, was that common at the time? For I was actually the only one in Missouri ever to get sentenced with that sentence off of marijuana. Now, um, you and since then, mm -hmm. it can't happen anymore. This law has been repelled. That's excellent. Yeah, um, it's unfortunate that it took one of those real-life scenarios where somebody had to deal with that. Um, you being that somebody, right? But um, it, it's excellent that the law has changed and nobody else is going to have to deal with that. Um, now, was that um, was that like a was it like a three-strike law or like is that what it was? What was so? Well, that's exactly what it was. Um, I was arrested a couple times for that, and uh, some minor charges, a couple ounces here and there. And, yeah, and. Um, this time they decided they, uh, uh, being a third count, it was either, you know, work for me, inform for me, or else we're going to. Yeah, so they want to make an example out of you. And that's exactly right, and that's exactly what the judge and the uh, prosecutor said. Oh, wow. So it was, so you had two prior convictions for some nonviolent minor possession, I would imagine, of, of cannabis, and then the, the third possession, then they just do the book at you. Right. And the third possession was, uh, I had three and a half grams of, my, of marijuana in my pocket. Um, and I met with some other people that had some weed. Uh -huh. Never met them before in my life, never talked to them before, but I had taken a uh, friend over there. And it just doesn't seem to matter if you're there. They've got this law called acting in concert. Oh, so what does that mean? Um... If you're there, you can basically be considered guilty. I mean, uh, yeah, because you're, uh, you're supposed to have to show knowledge and intent and stuff like that. But yeah, so I, I ended up with a um, possession with intent to distribute because they had about two and a half pounds. Okay. Okay. Um, you're just because there. what I had in my pocket, and even though they were talking in Spanish, that I didn't understand it. Yeah. It didn't seem to matter at all. It just uh, that's how the mindset was back in, in that day. Yeah. You know, today, I don't think it would ever happen. Yeah. I mean, if you're, there, there's probably, you would hope somebody that you could to at least speak to, not to say that nothing would happen, but life without parole, you know what I mean? Like, why would you be um, charged with an, an intent to distribute, you know, two and a half pounds of, of cannabis when you only had three and a half grams in your pocket? Because... I was there. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so okay, so you you were arrested in ninety three. Mm -hmm. Um you were, you said you're sentenced in ninety four. Right. So what happens from there? Like what's what's that process like? Well you go to um on your way to prison, you start out in Fulton. You end up there, um it's a diagnostic center. One of the diagnostic centers they have. Mm hmm And um uh with me I was there for about four or five months I think. And I went to Potosi. Okay. Um, at that time, that was known as the death camp. Right, yeah. Okay, that's uh, right about when they were doubling everything up from a 500 prison to uh, 1,000, I believe. Okay, so, they, so the population doubled. Doubled, right. Oh, wow. Did they have the space for that? Uh, you know, they'll, one at a time, they'll march it through here or there, you know. It, it, uh, yeah. Sleeping quarters... Could have been a little better because it was designed for one man sales, but but they just made them work. For they're two. gonna do what they're gonna do, right? Yeah. Okay. So how long were you in Potosi for? I was there for about a year, I guess. Okay. And, and then had the case overturned. 
Okay, what, so what, what do you mean the case was overturned? It was overturned uh, under what they call lesser clothing offense. Okay. Uh, that was brought up. And uh, then we went, uh, sat there for a couple more months waiting for them to come and get me back from Benton County. They come and got me. We went there and mm -hmm. waited for trial went to trial again. Okay. So you went back to trial and then it was just the same result? Sure. Okay. Well, you, um, Benton County, um, you remember it's a small city, small town. Yeah. Uh, a lot of farmers, older people in, in that area, and there wasn't much education at that time. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I imagine uh, just to, to set the stage for the folks, I mean, we're in, in rural county, you know, Missouri, um, where the, just the idea of, of cannabis is just so frowned upon. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I can't imagine that the that I I know the views have changed today compared to then, but in certain small areas, I'm, I can't imagine you know some of the people who are still living there probably even hold some of the same views. Like, what what were those views at the time? Um, you know, like normal, it used to be you got picked up for anything. Yeah. You were innocent until they found you guilty. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion anymore, if they pick you up, you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. Right. I've just seen too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Just call you a doper, a loser. Very, exactly. Troublemaker. Yeah, very much in a small community back then. Yeah. You know, it, it was quite a bit worse. Yeah. And to them, it, you were you were the bad guy, and, and that was it. They didn't understand. They were sitting there believing what our government taught them for so long. You know, they watched, yeah. they watched all the paranoia films and everything else so right you can't really blame them without them knowing or anybody getting out there letting them know the, the true information yeah man it's a real shame there's just so much misinformation that's just been going around for decades you know what i mean where it's just everybody thought that you know if you smoke cannabis you're a bad person and um there's just all this propaganda that was going around you know to make people think of all these negative things with 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 smoking marijuana or just anything associated with it right like if you're if you're smoking cannabis then you're probably a thief or you're you're some sort of uh criminal right mm -hmm. and uh just all of the benefits of it were just never shown to the to the people how true yeah how yeah true. so many people were lied um were lied to um, so you had it overturned and then, or, uh, so you went back to trial, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, same result. So where'd you go from there? Uh, you go back to, um, Fulton. Back to Fulton. Right. And when I was there, they sent me down to Texas for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Decided my sentence was too long. I was too bad of a guy to go be down there. So they brought me back up and, uh, went to the walls, JCCC. Okay. So and, that's in uh, Jefferson City, Jefferson correct? Jefferson City. Okay. And uh, I was there until we closed uh, the old walls down. Uh, I guess they used to call that the bloodiest 40 yards or bloodiest 40 acres. Is that is in that Missouri. Yeah, is that the one that uh is right in Jefferson City with like the big wall or is that Right. Okay. Yeah, so I, I you know it's weird. I mean, like I said I, I grew up in Jefferson or in, in Patelsi for until I was like 12 and then we moved to Jefferson City, so I I'm very familiar with that prison right there. Um, I've never been inside of it. I know they've done some tours and diff different things there since it's closed down. But um, so, so you were there for how many years? Well, that'd been from about '96 all the way up to when they closed it, or 2006, I guess. Okay, no, so it might have been '96. So a good decade you were there. Oh yes. Yeah. 
Um, so in all this time where, where you're, you're in there, um, did you ever just like lose hope? Like this is, this is where you're going to be at forever. I mean, I mean, that's what the sentence was. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of guys in there that, that do. Yeah. And when they do, it just seems like they just all fall apart and anything will happen. And, mm-hmm. Um, I decided very early that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah. I wasn't going to let them win. Uh, what I was doing was right, wasn't wrong. Right. And I truly believe that in my heart. So I went on and said, this can't be the end. It's not going to be. Sooner or later, it's it's going to change. Yeah. So during this time, like, what what do you, like, what, what's your day like? And, in, in, like, what's a typical day like in, in prison? Or, like, what, what did you do for, did you have a trade while you were in there? or I worked at the... Um, furniture factory while I was there. Okay. I became uh, what they call a lead man there on a crew and uh, taught the other guys how to uh, stain and finish furniture. Okay. Did you have uh, prior experience with that before going into? I've worked as a mechanic, as a carpenter, finished carpenter. Um, yeah. All my life. Okay. So I started working very young. Okay, so yeah, take tell me a little bit like before all of this, like what what was life like growing up? Like, so you're you're from Missouri? Just tell me through. No, like, actually, I grew grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, so you're from Chicago. Right. Okay. And uh, I joined the military as soon as I was of age. Got uh, went down to uh, Lackland Air Force Base. Okay. Then went up to Shepherd Air Force Base for training, and uh, ended up in uh, on Whiteman at Knobnoster here in Missouri. Oh, okay. I uh, liked the area so much, I decided to stay. I met a woman back then, got married, and had a couple children here in Missouri. And okay. How long were you in the military for? Uh, active was between uh, 1971 and 1975. Okay. And then you stayed in, in like, the reserves? Uh, no, but you got six-year commitment. We had two years that are in reserves, but it's not an active reserve. Oh, okay. I got you. And you're in the Air Force? Right. Oh, okay. During that time, were they, um, I know now, like, they do a lot of the Air Force basic training in, like, San Antonio. Where were they? Sent? That's where I went to. Okay. Lackland, San Antonio. That Lackland, yeah, that is in San Antonio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Man. So, so they had you bouncing around a little bit, and then you just ended up in Missouri. You just liked it, so you stayed there, huh? Right. Okay. Okay, and then so you got out, and then you were just kind of just working just different jobs? Uh, after I got out, I fell back on uh, what I grew up learning, of course, mechanical work. Yeah. And uh, some concrete work, and ended up doing carpentry work and construction. Actually worked in our nuclear plant here in uh, Missouri. Okay. Helped pour concrete in our... Uh, yeah. Were you a mechanic in the in the Air Force as well? No, I was actually a heavy equipment operator. Oh, really? Dozers, cranes. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's like one of those things. It's like it's like the inner child in you. Like it's like a big toy. <laughs> <laughs> you know it is for a little while, but it gets to be work. I'm sure. <laughs> real quick. I'm sure it does. Is, is, is it hot in that cabin? At, at times. Yeah, I can imagine so. Um, Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what that would be like uh, building, you know, doing, you know, in prison working, like, doing carpentry and different things. Like, how much do they pay you for that? Is it, like, cents on the hour? Um, I was one of the highest paying guys there to leave, man, and then I believe it was 71 cents an hour. Oh, man. Yeah, and then on the outside, what do you think you would have made doing that same work? We figured out that 
the whole factory of all the guys that had working done and what they had to pay them because we were trying to ask for a little bit more raise. Yeah. Um, what it took to pay all the inmates that were there, mm -hmm. if they weren't there and they had to pay a couple of journeymen, it, they would have been able to hire three people. Three journeymen? And we had like 60 people there. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> Man, so like like 20 people for one person. There you go. Man. Wow. I don't know how I would feel about that situation. But I guess it's just kind of one of those things where you just you just deal with it. There you, you go. You just have no, I it, mean. You know, you didn't get paid much money. Yeah. But um, it helped keep keep me sane. Yeah. And I know it helps a lot of other other guys keep sane. It also, some a lot of them guys are getting out, mm -hmm. and when they come in, they have no job, no skills, experience at all, or no skills. And a lot of them no skills, or very little skills. Some of them think they have skills. Yeah. So it gives them an opportunity to come down there and learn. It's uh, supposed to be more of a teaching type situation. Mm -hmm. Of course, the state's going to make money on what they do if, if they can. Yeah. So they. It's kind of a mixture there, but right. it was really it is really designed, and it does quite a bit teach some of these guys how to do something and uh, even learn how to work. Yeah, it, and come to work and have to be responsible for something. Yeah, having that structure that a lot of them probably didn't have. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I, a lot of people uh, have have gone to, to jail and, and lost their freedom um, over, like, nonviolent cannabis crimes. Um, possession, even if it's just selling or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then they, I would imagine that being thrown into the, the prison system, which is privatized, which is an issue on its own, um, have you ever seen or experienced to where people are worse off for that situation you know what i mean like you you you're, you're put into a um, a more dangerous situation or you know what i mean you're just exposed to more now than you would have been with otherwise well believe me all prisons are our training grounds um somebody comes in with a minor offense possession or drugs nonviolent. yeah uh, let's face it, we do have people in prison that need to be in prison. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I mean, um, we got to have them. Mm -hmm. But you're throwing the nonviolent person in with people like that in a lot of cases. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, you get your sexual predators that are roaming around in there as well. Yeah. And you get, say, for instance, maybe an 18-year-old guy walk in the door. Never been to prison before in his life. All of a sudden, you got four or five, six people around you telling you they're, you're going to do this or else. You know, um, you're going to have, you're going to call your family. We know you're in the drugs. You got, you know, you can tell them you want them to bring some up during visit, this or that. Or you're going to have them send money to my account. Or, you know, it could be even worse than that. Yeah. Now I don't care how big and bad you are. You got five or six guys standing around you that this one's in for murder, this one's in for three or four murders, this one's in here for rape, this one's in here for that. You better start thinking real quick and hard. And 
If you get on his brains, you better start swinging. Yeah. Right off the bat. So now you're taking a nonviolent youngster and making him violent. Out, out of no choice. And that happens a lot. Not every time, but it does happen. Yeah. And uh, that's some of the bad scenarios. I've seen it go as bad as somebody come in with a nonviolent and end up in a fight, hurting somebody the wrong way or doing the wrong thing and end up with a long sentence. Yeah. Sentence gets extended because just the circumstances that they had to deal with. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I, um, I've seen, you know, I've, I've, like I've read and I've seen like a documentary. It was, it was on the, like the county jail in Miami-Dade in, uh, in Miami. Day mm-hmm. County, and um, it was yeah, it, it was a scenario where you'd see over and over where like this is the environment, and like these are the rules. It's a different set of rules um, on the inside than on the outside, and you have to live by those rules, or otherwise you just get eaten alive. Well, you got a double set of rules while you're inside. What is that? You got what they want you to do, and then you got the, the guidelines of you know with all the inmates or convicts. Yeah. And now you got a line to walk. That's true. Yeah. So, so, so it's like the rules and like the real rules. Right. Because you got you got people that ain't never coming home that, that don't think twice about cutting your, your throat. Yeah. And then you got the guards on the other end. Everybody else is in the middle somewhere. Yeah. So. How do you navigate those waters? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know if there's a set, a set of rules. Yeah. Um, common sense. It's common sense. Don't gamble. You don't take anything from anybody, and you don't accept gifts. Yeah. If somebody comes up with you, stand up for yourself. Because if you don't, nobody's going to stand up for you. Now, if you stand up for yourself, could it could it lead to to like worse repercussions? Could there be more issues because of that, or is it or is well, it just one know, of those things you just kind of have to to deal with? Because it's going to be worse if you don't. It's going to be worse if you don't, and and just depends on how far it could go escalating. But um, usually, if you stand up for yourself, you you know you in most cases somebody's going to be tested. So it wasn't when I came in and. If they see that you're going to stand up for yourself, then they basically, the masses, leave you alone, you know. And you kind of get some respect. You get your respect, right. Yeah. Is, is respect a really big currency on the inside? That's the biggest problem. And, and, but, you know, I think it's a big problem out here, too. What's that? Uh, respect. And, There's not enough? And the problem is a lot of the younger guys that came in there said, you're going to show me respect, and I'm going to demand this and demand that. And I said, man, you ain't going to live. Yeah. And they look at you and say, you do not demand respect. You earn respect. And the only way you're going to earn respect is by giving respect. Right. And a lot of them can't grasp that because they've never taught that. Right. They don't have respect in a lot of cases, unfortunately, for their own parents. Mm Mm-hmm. Do they so, even respect themselves? And that's where it all starts. No. They think they do. They think they know what they're doing. They, they think they have it and they're going to demand it. And boom, boom, boom. They think that's the way of life. Yeah. Uh, because somehow or another, uh, they were never taught anything different. Right. Man, so, yeah, I can imagine 
after you've you've kind of you've settled in, if you will, for, you know you're you've been in there for a while. You you probably just saw a lot of just young men just cycling through, and just the same story and over and over. A lot of them over and over, yeah. Yeah. So and uh, the best thing you could do, the best thing I could do was get them off the side, talk to them, say, "Look, this is what happened to me. This is what's going on in my life." Yeah. Um, think of the things you're gonna miss. Oh, well, I was in my had grandkids. Um, my youngest grandchild at the time was got married two weeks before I got out. Hmm. Um, I have a younger one now, but that was my youngest grandchild at the time. I got to see her one or two times through her whole life. Yeah, and that was for about an hour, hour and a half across the table, except for when she run around and jump on my lap, uh, which was not supposed to be allowed. But yeah, they don't allow you to touch, right? there. Right, uh, but you know, they had to deal with her on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey man, this is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so you miss a lot of that. Um, and then while you're in there, you, you know, both my parents passed away. Yeah. You can't go to that and you can't replace that. I, Several other family members pass. Wow, they, and they uh, don't allow you like furlough to get out of it? For, to oh go, no. Oh wow. Oh no. So you miss all of that, but think about picking up the phone and, and finding out uh, uh, your mom's got cancer and she's only got X amount of time to live and, and can't afford to come up and see you. Yeah. And you know you can't go see them. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking about things like that and getting them to feel that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had some success stories. We've got quite a few people I've talked to that come out and become successful in business. Yeah. And things like that. But a lot of them come out and they try. They really, really, really try. Yeah. But it's so hard for some of them to get a job, or it's so hard for them to find a place to live. Yeah, uh, and it's a life sentence whether you're in there or not. Right, and just like when I got arrested the first time for a couple ounces of weed uh, back years ago. That one thing kept me from going on different jobs, higher paying jobs, which would have helped. Right, um, and it keeps you... And, and that was way back then. Hell, I even had my insurance canceled one time. So, oh, you were arrested for this. We can cancel your insurance. Yeah. Uh, house insurance. Yeah, so like, how do you function in normal society at that point? Right, so he's like, what the heck's going on here? But that's how it was. Right. So, uh, yeah, man. Our it, industry's come a long ways. We really have because, I mean, that's and that's still a real issue, right? I mean, if you get you get one sentence, whether you, even if 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 you so supposedly serve your sentence, it's you never really serve it. It doesn't really end. Never. Um, you you still have this big this big you know mark on your on your on your file, if you will, just saying that oh you're a convict and now it's harder to get jobs. It's harder to find places to live. It's just harder to just be a regular person. When in reality, like you've already served your time, so why are you still serving? Is what I don't understand. I I, I don't. I don't know, and I can't figure it out. We're working to try to get that changed because yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, once you get a record, that record stays with you at all times. Right. But when you get sentenced, you do what supposedly is 
fit for a crime, time for a crime at that right. time, or you're fined or anything like that. Right. And it's taken care of. Well, you supposedly done what was right for society at that mo- at that point. Right. So why do you have that record following you around saying, well, 15 years ago you got arrested for two ounces of marijuana. We can't have you working here. Right. You know. Yeah. That that that's one of those things that you that really has to change. And you know what I mean. I can under I can actually understand if somebody has a violent past and if 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 we say they serve time and then they get out. It's I can almost understand at least having that record of saying like you know this person might be susceptible to violence. So we have this understanding. But if you're not if you're not hurting anybody. Um, well, first of all, it's it's a waste of resources, and, and nobody should go to jail for plants in nature anyway. That, never, never. Never. But it happened. So if, if that is the case, then those people should not be still being punished for that. You know what I mean? Like, we shouldn't still hold them to some crazy standard. It's not even a standard. It's just a punishment where you're just a slave, really. Well, in reality, it's a p- when you get arrested and, and something like that goes on and it's on your record... Yeah. You get punished for the rest of your life. Right. And I have a real issue because we, we punish a lot of young men, which we, we found out that, like, the brain isn't even fully formed until you're, like, 25. Right. So a lot of young men, especially, like, we're rational, like, irrational creatures. We just do things, like, without thinking, like, for whatever reason, and just young people in general. So the idea that we're going to... Um, judge somebody from like whenever like they were 21 at, or if we're going to judge them as the same as whenever they're like 40 or you know 50 like that's those are two different people or you know what i mean so it's just it's people change and people grow right hopefully hopefully <laughs> hopefully um it, and unless they're stifled and they're, and they're not allowed to uh which also happens in prison a lot of times right? yeah when you go in wherever where you're, you're at, at is where you're it at. It seems like you seem to freeze there, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, you do see that a lot. A lot of um, guys, like, they'll, they'll get out of prison, and it's just, um, they just kind of picked up right where they left off. And right. And they just go back to whatever life that they had. Well, you know, uh, another sad thing is you're, a lot of these nonviolent crimes, they come in there, they have to go through all the indignities of, of being there and everything else. Their family's being hurt because they're not, there is part of it anymore. Yeah. And then uh, you've got these uh, guys that come in that uh, are hurting people, that are raping women and, and children. Right. And they come in and do a little bit of time and go out, come in and do a little bit of time and go out. Yeah, what's it like to, know, to witness that? It's really heartbreaking. Um, and then you sit there and wonder, well, you know, what the hell happened in the United States? What, what, what's going on here? Yeah. When... You can hurt a child, physically hurt, rape, scar for life, and go do a little bit of time and then get get back out. And I realize they're supposed to be on a register and everything else, but in a lot of, a lot of cases, that don't stop nothing. Right. Uh, but yet, going there under a nonviolent crime, right, such as marijuana in my case, and being there forever, right, uh, that's what went on my mind you know in other words what the hell is wrong yeah so what are the guards like um during the, so i mean is 
obviously you're kind of dealing with with everything with with this side like uh those being the prisoners like the other you know the other population but then there's this pressure on the other side right that you talked about you said there's two sets of roles so For what's sure. it what's it like dealing with them um is do they kind of run the gauntlet or are there some good ones are there are, there's are a lot there of good bad ones, ones or there's like, a lot of good ones yeah and you know just like just like anywhere else you yeah get, you get Good ones and bad ones. And they run someone the spectrum that, as Some well. of them think that they, you know, they get their chest done. You're going to do every little thing I say and this and that. And some of them understand what's going on. It's, hey, you know, this is what we got to do. You know you got to do it. Do yeah. it. And like, we'll leave you alone. You do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's like and this is my job and we'll just be good. Exactly right. So, uh, you know, I had trouble with a few guards, but overall, they were Really pretty professional. Yeah. Did a good job, for real. And, and that's a tough job. It is a tough it, job. It, it's tough for the convict and, and or inmate, as they like to say nowadays. And it's, it's tough for the guards. Yeah. But uh, and just like anything, anything else, a lot of times the guys, they're, you know, they're, they're too puny on this or, or they're too nitpicky. and Yeah. But... They got to hire up to go to the same way as everybody else. It's like they're saying, you know, you know like, uh, you know, shit rose downhill, right? Exactly right. <laughs> and if you're in prison, you're at the very bottom. Oh, man. You just got to eat the shit sandwich, huh? There you go. Oh, man. So, okay, um, so at what point did, did things kind of start turning to where you felt like um, there – because, I, I mean, I remember I, I came across your story. There was a, a, a very big push to, like, really, like – right or wrong and help get you out and that probably went on for a number of years actually i can remember um just a couple so, of years at yeah least. um just to really try to get you out like when 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 was that as far as that change like walk me through that um well i've been out uh, three years ago september 1st 2015 2015 so you're in for just over 21 years right almost 22 years almost 22 years and um, so uh, it it took how long to get you out? Now your your son really led that push, right? Yes. Chris. He, he, Chris actually uh, got with the Show Me Cannabis at the time. It was one of the first bills that they had for legalization of, of uh, marijuana. Yeah. And they had a meeting beforehand, I guess, uh, in some of the planning stages, and they asked, you know, got went around and asked everybody, well, you know, why are you here? You know, what, what's your reason for being here? And Chris says, well, I, I believe in the legalization. Besides that, my dad's over doing life without the possibility of parole over marijuana. And, mm -hmm. you know, at that time, nobody could believe it. Yeah, and, and it's shocking asked, to hear. Right. And then they asked a few questions. Well, what else? You know, guns involved, somebody gets shot, boom, boom, boom. And he said, no, nothing, nothing like that. Yeah. And it, it took them a while to even digest it and even go and check on it because they couldn't believe it neither. Yeah. And a lot of these were lawyers. So uh, uh, finally they had the time to take a look at it and found out, hey, Chris wouldn't tell no, no lies. That's, that's the way it is. Speaking of Chris, <laughs> he just walked <laughs> in the room right here. my son there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so they got uh, to thinking about it, and uh, next thing you know, they got to talking about it on the air and stuff when they were talking about the legalization effort. And, yeah. Um, actually, uh, that started a little bit with, with Show Me Cannabis, and, and word was getting out, and an old boy here from uh, the Riverfront Times right here in St. Louis. Nice. 
Um, he wrote a piece, and it, it was so fantastic that it caught everybody's attention, and it, it really uh, caught fire, and that was a piece done by Ray Downs. Okay. What in, was that in? The Riverfront that Times. That was all Ray Downs in the Riverfront Times? Right. Okay. And uh, Chris said the day that came out, I think he got a telephone call from a woman out of California. Oh, wow. He said, I can't believe this. Boom, boom, boom. It's and, a powerful uh, piece. Right. And it just spread and spread. Next thing I know, it, it seemed like it uh, was just steamrolling. Yeah. Um, and then they had uh, about 450,000 signatures that they yeah. collected, if I remember right. Yeah, I know a lot of us signed it. And then Shemed uh, Dogan, from uh, here, representative here in St. Louis, heard my story, come and talk to me. Okay. And uh, he, he stood up and told me, he said, I, I, I can't believe that. And I was going to help. This is when he was a, a freshman, just, just got in. Okay. He said he's going to help any way he could. And uh, uh, to answer your question earlier, I think that's, really one of the first times that even though everything else was going on, I knew that was doing something because now all of a sudden you got a representative coming to right. see you. So that was the, the first time that, oh, it's, it, it's really working, you know. You yeah, to really, started uh, to actually become real. Right, because we know people have been talking about legalization of marijuana for years and years and years, but yeah. that don't mean the government was doing anything about it. In fact, isn't a lot, a lot of times they're still fighting it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so now the representatives are coming and asking questions and stuff and uh, getting involved. And it turned out that most of the House of Representatives and senators signed a uh, letter to the governor telling him to uh, let me out. Yeah. Yeah, so. you, you had a lot of backing. And I can, I can remember just thinking that um, I, I, I was having a hard time understanding what was taking the governor so long, like so long to pardon you. Because it just seemed like such an obvious thing. It was, we have a guy here who's faced, you know, he's been sentenced to life without parole. He's, so he served, you know, two decades plus of his life already. And um, it's just literally as simple as like, you know, writing up the document and signing it. Like, what is, why are we dragging our feet here? I just couldn't understand it. Right, but I, I didn't get a pardon. My sentence got commuted. Okay, it was commuted. It was commuted from a life without to a life sentence. Okay. And then I went in front of the parole board. Okay. So once you got out on parole, like, are there any stipulations? Like, I'm not really familiar every with Every like, stipulation, parole. every other parolee has. Uh, yeah. You can't be around drugs. You can't be around another convicted felon. Yeah, uh, so there's all of that. No drinking, none of this, you know, yeah, plus the rules of, yeah, uh, regular rules and laws. <laughs> yeah, so regular rules and laws. So I guess I mean so that and, so and then you get to pay for that too. Yeah, I was gonna say like when you get out of prison, there there's a bill with that. Is that correct? Yeah, right. uh, there's there's a set amount for each person that you have to pay each month. Yeah, while, while you're on parole. While you're on parole. Right, and if um, they tell you you have to go through so many classes as condition of your parole, you got to. Sign up for those classes and go through them, and uh, yeah, you have to pay for them as well. Wow, how long were you on parole for? I was on parole just a little short of three years. Okay, and you just recently got off of parole. Right. Was that like an amazing thing? Yeah, yeah, it was shocking. I yeah, just, did it? I couldn't believe they really let me off parole. It yeah, just, did it even feel real? No, because 
even walking out the door when I come around that corner to prison, I just it kind of didn't feel real then either. It's you, like this is a cruel so, joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, waiting for somebody to come around the corner and grab me and take me back. You yeah, know? gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're just recently on parole or off of parole. Um, have you been able to take it like a trip out to like Colorado or anything? And no, I haven't. Unfortunately, it, it you checked know, out that market or anything. Twenty-two years in prison, you don't make a whole heck of a lot of money at uh, seventy-one or seventy-three cents an hour, whichever. Yeah. It was. So, <laughs> no. No, I don't. <laughs> it, it takes money to do that. Only, only time I travel is if I'm uh, able to speak at uh, a convention or something like right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. And, I would, uh, have you been doing much speaking since you've gotten out? I know you've done a little bit. Um, has what, What's kind of been your focus since gotten out? I mean, I, obviously, I imagine just life, you know, spending time with family. But um, I, obviously, you seem pretty passionate about still, you know, fixing the system, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I've been around quite a few places um, across this country, Washington, Washington, D.C., um, Seattle, Maryland, California, Texas, just to name a few of them. Yeah, see, even all over. <laughs> just speaking, telling your story at all uh, these places. Speaking, telling the story, and, and trying to get... Um, you know, so, some social justice done, some uh, help for the people that are still in on nonviolent crimes. Yeah. Uh, and not just here in Missouri, uh, but of course here in Missouri as well, but uh, across our nation. Because right. Because it just needs to be done. I mean, there's uh, a lot of people don't realize there's still, the last time I looked, it was somewhere a little over 2,000 people still in jail doing a life or a life without sentence. Oh, wow. Uh over nonviolent crimes, and, and that's not counting your, you know, maybe thirty years, twenty years, or ten right. years. That's just life and life without. Right. That's not any of the other right. sentences. And that's state and federal, not just state. Okay. Uh, and and that's really a big injustice that, that we the people have to change. One hundred percent. Yeah, I have a real issue with um, how we treat. Nonviolent offenses, and in particular, like drug offenses, we treat them as criminal issues. Uh, well, I guess not just separate like the nonviolent, but yeah, I mean, if just drug offenses, we treat them as as criminal issues as opposed to like health issues. If if somebody really is um, like they're they're heavily addicted to like heroin, for example, instead of like locking that person up and like throwing away a key, like that's a bur- that's a burden on the system alone because now they're like their whole system's going to be shocked, and then now there's just all these steps, right? Like somebody has to arrest them, and then we have to like process them, and then there's a judge, and that's a that's a big cost to the system, and that could potentially ruin that person's whole life because, like you said, once they get out, now you're you there's this label on you. As opposed to doing that, like, why don't we offer them, like, a safe alternative? It's like, all right, well, if we treat this as a health issue, like, do you want to get off of, of this? Like, are you, like, we can help you with that. Or if you are going to do it, why don't we provide, like, a safe means so that way um, we don't run a risk of, like, you, you getting infected or something like that. Like, we've, we've seen it work in other places. I don't understand why we don't really do that here as well. Well, you just said it. Yeah, it just blows I mean, me th- away. Think about it. Somebody arresting, going to court, lawyers, judges. Yeah. Prosecutors. Um, Privatized penal systems. I mean. What's it all come down to? The almighty dollar, my friend. Um, 
And what's really a shame is it's all coming out of taxpayers' pockets. Right. And it can be done better, cheaper, and designed to help somebody and not hurt them. Right. And, and I know we as a people can do that. Um, and I don't have all the answers, obviously, but we get a lot of smart individuals across the United States here, so why don't they get their heads together and do something? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there's definitely a better way to do it, 100%. Um, so what's what's next for you? Uh, obviously, you, you spoke yesterday here at the Mocana, Mocana BizCon, um, this huge expo. It's excellent. Um, what's what's on the horizon for you? Well, I've been uh, trying to work in my house and get, and get it together. Yeah. Uh, so I do that whenever I can, whenever I, whenever I can afford to do anything on it. Yeah. Of course, like everybody else. And uh, hey, it's it's uh, medically legal here. That's a, that's amazing. I can't get into business because I'm not five years parole free. Oh. But. I can still stay active in it, speaking in different places and giving out uh, information. And, and let's face it, that is the key. Yeah. That education is the key. Um, and there's a lot of places that still need educated, even still here in Missouri. Oh, absolutely. Uh, eventually, I would like to see uh, what they call recreational come in. Yeah. But in my opinion, there is no recreational. It's all medical in a way. Because if you talk to doctors, they tell you stress is one of the biggest killers that we have. Absolutely. Okay, well, people come home, sit down and grab a glass of wine and drink it. Why? To relieve stress. Right. Uh, people come home and grab a joint or however they care to indulge uh, and smoke it or eat it. Right. What's that do? Relieve the stress. Right. So isn't that medically? <laughs> One hundred percent, and you know, on, and on top of that, you know, it's been shown to actually help the body as opposed to, you know, like alcohol, which you know tends to harm the body. Um, it's hard on the liver. I mean, there's there's definitely some studies that show like you know a glass of red wine might have some heart health or something like that. But in general, it, it cannabis is a much healthier alternative. True, but on the other hand, this is American. We're supposed to be free. Yeah. And what I've been fighting for all along was for people to have their choice of what they'd like to do. 100%. And I don't want to put somebody else down for having a shot of booze or whatever. If that's what they enjoy, damn it, they should be able to do that. As this simple is as America. that. Yeah. If they want to roll up a joint and smoke it, they should be able to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, without the fear of somebody knocking their door down and, and hauling them off to jail. 100%. Um, and that's just the way I feel because I grew up in a real America. I grew up in the 60s, early 60s. So yeah, um, I know what it was like and what it is now. And it should be nice to be back there again. Yeah, man. Um, times seem to be getting better with the laws, thank goodness. So You know, uh, I'll tell you a little story. When I was growing up, there was a bunch of us heading out to the lake, and we had a we was all underage now, mind you, and <clears throat> we was heading out to the lake, out in, out in the woods, and had a couple cases of beer in the trunk, and of course we had a couple bags of, of marijuana with us as well. Yeah. And we got stopped on the way out, which was 
pretty much normal, searched. Yeah. And they find the beer and they pour the beer out and they look at the weed, they look at it, put it back up on top of the car and tell us now, you behave and you all go out there and have a good time, but we better not catch you drinking in our area anymore. <laughs> you know? Give you a bag of weed back yeah. all the way to ended up going to prison for the rest of my life. Wow. For a couple of grams. Yeah. Uh, and then now back to this. Yeah. And this is just infant steps. It, it's this business is going to grow. The people are going to be able to thrive and uh, use what they want and be yeah. able to take care of themselves the way they want. Yeah. And uh, we need to not forget those that are still locked up. And let's work on prison reform. Let's work on equality and get equal for everybody and get our men and women out of prison for nonviolent crimes. Yeah, 100%. And uh, stop this nonsense of being thrown in jail for marijuana. Yeah. So, yes, we won a battle, but the war still goes on. Yeah, it's still going on. I mean, for the listeners who don't know, I mean, it's still illegal federally. Um, exactly. You know, we're, we're over the, the, the quote-unquote tipping point. There's more than half of the states that have legalized some form of cannabis consumption, whether that's medical or recreation, um, but it's still illegally federal or federal, yeah, illegally on the federal level, and it's a class one um, scheduled narcotic. Right. Which, so we still have a long way to go. We're not there yet, but we're, we're definitely getting there. We're seeing a lot of good things with, like, the CBD laws. Do you, do you use CBD at all? Have you? Yes, I've tried some CBD, and it's, it's worked. Miraculously, yeah. Um, I've seen it work on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the other hand, when I was roaming around the state collecting signatures for legalization of medical, I talked to hundreds and, and hundreds of people that were doing the CBD and the other oil as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were all being forced to be, to break in the law and going across state lines to go get what they thought they needed for their health care, and in a lot of their cases, I was talking to guys that said uh, they sent me home from the hospital two years ago telling me I was going to die in two months, uh, just get all everything in order, And but I tried this oil, and uh, I'm completely cancer-free now. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, you know, or um, a, a woman coming in and, uh, with her child in a stroller saying, my child hadn't had a seizure in six months. Yeah. Uh, we give her one drop every other day, and... Uh, she was having seizures so bad she was busting the bones in her legs before that. Yeah. Um, it's completely life-changing. I can go, and basically I'm a nobody. And I could go around anywhere just asking for people to sign for legalization effort and hear these stories. Why don't our senators and representatives hear this? Why can't they see it themselves? Yeah. Are they just ignoring it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope not. I know all of them's not. Uh, I, I just, I can't believe that wrong in in, in any people. Yeah. Uh, to know how it can help children and, and others and our veterans, 22 a day dying. Yeah. Um, commit suicide from PTSD. Yeah. And, and I would be willing to bet that's really on a low number. 22. Yeah, that's not accurate. It's probably more. Yeah. Yeah. And go. Over, I've been around the country, like I, I told you, different places, and, and the veterans saying, "Well, I can smoke this, or I can eat this, and it helps me." But 
It's not legal in my state. Yeah. Uh, so they're living where they're at, homeless. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to take any more money from their families and what they have to. Almost like being in prison. You're stuck there and your family feels like, well, we need to send you some money. But it's hurting that family. Yeah. And so. Yeah, so if we could just get these people access to, you know, to safe medicine um, that actually works. You know, we could we could definitely change a lot of lives. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time. I don't want to take any more of your time. Um, this has been an excellent conversation. I want to um, leave the floor to you if there is um, anything that you'd like to plug. I don't know if you have any sponsors or, you know, a website or just any place you would like to direct people. Um, leave that's up to you. You know, uh, I, I really don't use time like this for, for sponsors or anything like this. I, I like to use it for the people, for our guys and girls that are still locked up, for uh, the ones that can't help themselves. Yeah. Uh, and also for the people to remind them that our government works for us, or at least they're supposed to. We pay their bills. We're supposed to tell them what we want and they're supposed to do that. And the only way that works, unfortunately, is, is to register to vote. You have to get involved. And I say unfortunately register to vote because unfortunately a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, if it was as simple as just being able to walk in without having to register and vote, we, we might get a lot more people in there. Yeah. And, but I can see the reason why I registered, don't get me wrong. But everybody needs to do that. It's unnecessary evil, in my opinion, because the only way they're going to hear your voice is through your vote. Yeah. Or if you go to their meetings where they're talking about where they're trying to be elected and they tell you, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. If you think about it, that's a contract they're making with you. And if they don't do it and, and you help vote that person and they don't do it, you know what? We have the option to vote their asses out and get somebody in there that's going to work for us. Yeah. If we've been doing this for the last 15, 20 years, I think where would we be now? Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's really where, and I've been guilty um, of, like, not registering to vote in the past and saying, oh, man, my vote doesn't matter. And I kind of still feel that way, like, for, like, the presidential election, but... When it comes to, like, local and state, like, your vote 100% matters. Like, you really, it's, it's really up to you to go out and, um, and exercise your voice and your vote and, and change. If you don't like what's going on in your, in your community and what's going on in your state, you really do have to get out and vote and express your opinion. It's, it's important. Exactly right. And everybody's opinion ain't going to be the same, and, and that's all right. Right. That's what makes this a democracy. Put it out there, and if, if everybody else likes it, You'll get enough votes to get it done. Hey, medical marijuana in Missouri legal. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. It would be possible, and, and especially with the, was it 63, 65 percent approval? Yeah, 60 something. It was a lot. It was a lot. And I think actually I saw that um, they immediately put on the docket to be reviewed this next session here in 2019 to be reviewed for recreational as well. Um, it'll be. 
for recreation except there won't be actual like sales so you can't go to like an actual store um, it'd be kind of similar to Washington DC where um, you can still possess and own and use but everybody will also have the ability to grow like six plants and cultivate so yeah so check that out yeah so hopefully that goes through that would be pretty exciting stuff it's just one more step to, to where we need to get going in Missouri so there you go yeah well Jeff again thank you so much man you have such a powerful story I really appreciate you sharing it and you know you, you going around the country and fighting the good fight and really you know spreading the awareness and, and trying to change things like it's so important I just can't thank you enough so I really appreciate you sir yeah. thanks for having me all right thanks again Jeff thank you all right everybody until next time Bye.